Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, it says, As the crowd was pressing in on Yeshua to hear Yahweh's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master Simon replied, We worked hard all night long and caught nothing, but at your word I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Yeshua's knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Yeshua told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. And then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. All right. As we begin to look at chapter 5 of Luke's Gospel today, I want to remember where we left off because the break in chapters does not always mean a break in thought. I taught on a passage in Luke 5 and Luke 4 the past couple of Sabbaths from last moon or last month. At the end of Luke chapter 4, Yeshua wakes up. He slept that night. And he wakes up early in the morning and he goes and finds a quiet place to pray to his Father. But the crowds of people in Capernaum got up early too. And the reason they got up early is because they wanted to find the Master and beg Him to stay and teach them longer. Uh, But He told them that He needed to proclaim the good news about the kingdom to the other towns also. He couldn't just hoard it away and only teach the good news of the kingdom to Capernaum. He had to go and teach it to the other towns. And He says at the end of Luke 4, I believe it's verse 43, He said, this is why I was sent to preach the good news about the kingdom. So Luke 5 verse 1 is just a continuation of the crowds pressing in upon Yeshua. It's the same morning that he got up. It's still early in the morning. We have to remember that chapter and verse subdivisions were not part of the original manuscript of the gospel according to St. Luke. I'm not against subdividing the Bible up into chapters and verses. It helps us in our memory and it helps us know where things are. But oftentimes they could be better placed than they are. And in this case, we have a continuation of that early morning prayer and those people coming to Yeshua in Luke 5, 1 through 11. Same morning. So we go to Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, As the crowd was pressing in on Yeshua to hear Yahweh's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. These people in Capernaum, where he was, they wanted to hear the Master teach. They went and found him where he went to the deserted place to pray. They found him. And now they're closing in on him, this verse says, or pressing in. That's a good translation. Really, they're they're getting closer and closer, not because they're trying to do anything bad to him, but because they want to hear him so bad. They're closing in on him to listen to what he has to say. They love to hear him teach with that authority from heaven. It's like being on the edge of your seat waiting to hear 
what the person has to say next. And when you listen, catch this now, when you listen to Yeshua teach, you were listening to Yahweh teach. Yeshua's teaching was Yahweh's Word. It was Scripture. He taught. When He taught, it became Scripture. It was inspired. It just came later than books like Exodus or Isaiah or Malachi. And we should never forget that Yeshua was the Word of Yahweh made into a human being. I like to say the Torah, the law, made flesh. That's what He was. Those who lived in the Old Testament, they could hear the Word of Yahweh. They could read the Word of Yahweh. They could have Moses speak to them the Word of Yahweh. But those who lived at the time of Yeshua, they could actually look at and be a friend with the Word of Yahweh. Through the person of Yeshua, who was Yahweh's Son. He was the Word made flesh. John chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, People often think that those like myself, who do not believe that Yeshua was Almighty Yahweh, have to then believe that He was just a mere man. There's a famous author. He wrote a book called Mere Christianity and also some more popular books called The Chronicles of Narnia. And the children probably know them from the movies that have came out as of late. This guy's name was C.S. Lewis. He lived in the earlier 1900s or the early 20th century. And he came up with a saying that Jesus, as he used, or Yeshua, was either mad, bad, or God. And what he meant by that was this. Either he was a madman, he was a lunatic, he didn't have sense because he, in C.S. Lewis's mind, he claimed to be God, so maybe he was just mad, he was insane, that's one choice. Or maybe he was bad, maybe he knew he wasn't God and he just lied about it. Or the third choice that C.S. Lewis gave was that he was God. And the problem with that is that that's a multiple choice that doesn't have the correct answer in the multiple choice. Imagine if you took a quiz or a test in school, children. I always like those. You like those, Austin, the multiple choice? Because they got the answer in front of you. That's my favorite one. <laughs> I loved them when there was multiple choice. But imagine having a question with a multiple choice, but you don't have the right answer. What if the right answer is not there? It doesn't matter which one you pick. Well, I think that's what the problem with C.S. Lewis's dictum was is that the right answer, the son of Yahweh, is not in the multiple choice. See, when somebody like myself does not believe that Yeshua was Almighty Yahweh, that doesn't then mean that they have to believe that he was just a mere man, whatever that means. No, I believe that he was the son only begotten of Almighty Yahweh. The word of Yahweh made into a human being. That's pretty prestigious, isn't it? That's pretty prestigious. Matter of fact, I believe he's second in command over the entire universe because Yahweh Almighty gave him all authority in heaven and in earth, Matthew 28, 18. In John chapter 5, verse 30, Yeshua says this. Listen to this. Listen to the separation of the Father and the Son, but yet the unity or the oneness that they do share in purpose and in plan. John five thirty, Yeshua says, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now here we have two wills going on. His and the one who sent him. He doesn't seek his own, but the will of him who sent him. So you see a separation, but yet you see a unity. He's seeking the unity. See. Or in John eight twenty eight through 29, he says, when you lift up the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. Matter of fact, that was the most often title that he gave himself was Son of Man. Some people wonder, what did that mean? I believe, I don't have time to go into this right now, I believe he was referencing himself to Daniel seven fourteen where the Son of Man comes up to the Ancient of Days. 
I think that's why he called himself the Son of Man, because he knew he fulfilled that prophecy of Daniel 7.14, or at least would fulfill it. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. I am who? The Son of Man, Daniel 7.14. And I do nothing on my own. I don't do anything on my own. He says, but just as the Father taught me, notice He had to be taught by the Father, I say these things. The one who sent me, remember Yeshua was the one who was sent, Yahweh was the one who sent Him, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases Him. Notice the separation, but notice the unity. When you listen to Yeshua teach, you are listening to Yahweh teach. Not because He was Yahweh Almighty, but because He was the very Word of Yahweh made into a human being. So here in Luke 5 verse 1, Yeshua is teaching Yahweh's Word and He's giving the people authoritative teaching. He's giving them teaching to live by and He did so while He stood beside Lake Gennesaret. Now, Lake Gennesaret is another name for the Sea of Galilee. And the reason it was called Lake Gennesaret, or actually, more correctly, it's Lake Kinnereth. Kinnereth. The reason it's called Lake Kinnereth, Gennesaret in our English Bible, is because there was a town on the western border of the lake in Old Testament times named Kinnereth. That town existed on the western border, therefore one of the names for this lake was Lake Kinnereth. And it was called the Sea of Galilee in the parallel text of Matthew 4.18, which is parallel to Luke chapter 5. The reason it was called that was because it was in the region of Galilee. So we move now to Luke 5, verse 2. This is what happened. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. What does that mean? Well, fishermen would generally fish at night. Things were more quiet. The fish were not able to see the linen netting in the water. As a matter of fact, through my studies, the invisible netting that fishermen by trade used today was not even invented until the early to mid-1900s. These fishermen back here in the first century used linen netting that the fish could see during the daytime, but not, or at least not easily, during the night. And these fishermen in Luke 5, they had been fishing all night long. After the Sabbath passed, they went out to work. They worked the night shift, Brother Randy, that shift that we don't want to work, right? (laughs) They worked that night shift. They were washing their nets at this point when Yeshua was coming. And it was early in the morning and after fishing all night long, the nets would be dirty from the soil and other things that were deep in the water. And so when they pulled out their nets in the early morning, they would take some time to stand on the shore and then they would wash their nets. And they would get them ready for the next time that they would fish, which would usually be the following night. They'd go home and get some rest during the day. A man by the name of Mendel Nunn who was an actual fisherman on the Sea of Galilee in the 1900s. He wrote a series of articles about ancient fishing and netting. And he believes that the disciples here were using what's called a trammel net because that is the type of net that fishermen generally use on the Sea of Galilee at night. Mendel Nunn was a fisherman. That's what he did. Spent his whole life studying about it as well. This net, this trammel net, was let slowly down into the water and it acted as a slightly curved wall that the fish would swim into and it was weighted on the bottom and it was corked on the top so that it would float. Now just to point this out, and I think most of you probably have already thought about this, but these men were not fishing for fun. 
right? It wasn't like Brother Danny calls me up who likes to fish, and he says, Brother Matthew, let's go fishing. No, that's not what's taking place here. These men were fishermen by trade. This is how they made a living. Okay? Luke 5, verse 3. He, this is Yeshua, got into one of the boats. Remember, they're through. The boats are docked there at the shore. He got into the boat, which belonged to Simon. Simon is Simon Peter, as we'll see later on. And asked him to put out a little from the land. And then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. So let's put ourselves in Simon's shoes for a second. He'd been up all night long fishing. He was wet. He was probably cold. He was tired. And he was at the point where he was on shore, and he was washing the net. And the Master, the Messiah, he wants Simon to put the boat out a little from the land so he can use it as a pulpit on the water and call out to the people on the shore and teach the crowds of people that were there. And this helped the Messiah in two ways. Number one, the crowd wouldn't press in on him. Number two, I think that the water helped to carry his voice. It was kind of like an amplification, if you will. Remember, as I taught last Sabbath, he was a rabbi. He was teaching, collecting disciples at this time. Luke 5, verses 4 through 5. When he had finished speaking... He said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master Simon replied, We've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Now the HCSB, you see an exclamation point after we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. That's not in the Greek. But Peter probably was a little excited and he probably did kind of raise his voice at least a little bit because he was tired, wet, cold, ready to go home. I thought we were through, Master. Now you've asked me to put the boat out a little bit. Now you've taught. Who knows how long Yeshua taught for. The text doesn't tell us. And now you want us to go back out into the deep water again during the daytime to fish. Now put yourself in Simon's shoes. Simon's response is one of respect, though, because he calls Yeshua Master here. But he also wants the Master to know that he's already been out there fishing since the end of the Sabbath that had passed. But he respected Yeshua enough to go out and let the nets down one more time. Luke 5, 6 through 7. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat, come give us some help. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So here these fishermen have worked all night long. They've caught nothing. They're tired, they're wet, ready to wash their nets and go home. But now during the daytime, they listen to Yeshua and what happens? They catch so many fish that their nets start to tear. They had two boats on the water and there were so many fish caught that when they put them in the boats, the boats started to sink. Talk about a blessing. And do you see that the miracle is not just in the catch of the fish. The miracle is, is that This was not done during the daytime. These fishermen didn't go out and do this during the day. Not only was it a large amount of fish, that would have been enough of a miracle during the night. But during the day, when the fish can see the net, and they swim right into it. It's a miracle. Luke 5, 8-10 When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Yeshua's knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took. 
And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Yeshua told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Now see, this wasn't an ordinary catch. Even though Simon Peter knew Yeshua, remember Yeshua healed his wife's mother of her fever in Luke 4. Do you remember that? He went into his mother-in-law. She was sick with a fever. He rebuked the fever and it left her immediately. Immediately. But now, in a unique way, Simon Peter sees the authority that this man has. Not just over a fever. Not just over an unclean spirit in a synagogue on the Sabbath, but over the fish. Over the fish. Peter recognizes that he's in the presence of holiness. And it's not that Peter has committed some particular sin. That's not what this is talking about. What it's talking about is Peter recognizes in the presence of the Messiah that Peter's character, he is sinful. And the man that he's just heard teach and the man that told him to pull out into the deep water, and the man that said, look, cast your nets down, and they pulled up these fish, that man is not like me. That's what Peter is doing here. He's a sinner, and he needs a Savior, and Peter admits that in humility. And brothers and sisters, we have to admit the same thing as Peter. We are sinners in need of a Savior. You'll never want the remedy until you realize how sick you are. Everyone was astonished. Those with Simon in his boat, and those fishing partners of Simon in the other boat, they'd caught an amount of fish that they would probably catch in two weeks' time, in one short daylight period. I didn't make up the two weeks' time. I don't know if that's factual, but I learned that from studying other theologians. But I do know this. That wasn't normal. They wouldn't normally catch enough fish to weigh down two boats in one catching. It's a miracle. Peter's humble. He says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And Yeshua, though, doesn't, he, doesn't turn Peter, he doesn't push Peter away. And we better be glad that he doesn't push Peter away. Because if he pushed Peter away, then that means he pushed Matthew away. Because Matthew's in the same boat as Peter. Just as sinful as Peter. Yeshua is a friend to sinners. He's a friend to humility. He's a friend to the man or the woman who has a repentant heart. He's a friend to the person who acknowledges their sin and their need for Him as their Savior. And Peter feels the need to tell Yeshua to get away from him because of his sinful character. But Yeshua is a friend to those who admit their sinfulness. There's a song that's been out for a little while now by a group, Casting Crowns, very popular group in Christian music. And it's called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And while obviously I do not believe that that's the correct name for the Messiah, the message of the song, I believe, is very beautiful and very scriptural. I actually heard this song critiqued by a Baptist pastor. A Baptist pastor did not like the song. And he gave it a very critical lashing in a radio broadcast. Now, I'm generally the first one to biblically critique something. You guys know how that goes. Or point out that somebody's a false prophet. I don't have a problem doing that. But I'm going to tell you that I don't have any problem with the song that this group wrote. I think it's wonderful. I think it's beautiful. I think their intent was scriptural. And we need to be thankful that Yeshua is a friend of sinners. Because if He wasn't, if He wasn't, 
we would all be doomed. Yahweh is so holy. He's so just. And His law is perfect. And if you break it one time, you diminish yourself from the holiness of Yahweh. You take yourself away. So you don't ask yourself, well, am I practicing sin now? That's not the question. The question is, have you ever committed sin in general? Ever. That's the question. And if you have, you fall under condemnation of the law. It condemns you. It condemns you. And it shows you your sin. And I'm thankful that we have the law to show us our sin. That way we'll know what sin is. I'm thankful when I wake up in the morning and my hair is a wreck that I've got a mirror to show me I need to fix my hair. Right? Or if I've got some dry slobber on my face from sleeping on this elbow, I'm glad I can see it and whew, say, I've got to wash my face out, right? Wash those little crusts out from my eyes, right? Everybody's got them. You know I'm telling the truth, right? The mirror shows me what I look like, but it doesn't take that away, does it? I've got to get the wash rag. I've got to wash it off. And the law shows you your sin. And James says that some people look at the perfect law of liberty and they look at the mirror of the law, but then they leave and they forget what kind of man or person that they were when they looked in that mirror. Brothers and sisters, when we look into that perfect law and we see that we're sinners, recognize, yes, the law condemns, but recognize that the law that was made flesh, He came so that you would not have to be condemned by the law. He kept it perfectly and then died in your place. And then the Father resurrected Him to eternal life and immortality on the third day so that when you repent of your sin and put your trust in Him, He takes your penalty upon Himself so you can be forgiven and be made clean by the blood of the Lamb. Yeshua is a friend of sinners, and I'm not ashamed to say, have mercy on me, for Matthew is a sinner. You look out in the world and you think, well, surely somebody that does this sin and that sin has to be worse. And by the way, I do believe that some sins are worse than others. I I think that it's a false doctrine that the church world has propagated to say that all sin is equal. Some are worse than others, and that's for another time and another place. There's a sin unto death that life is not even to be asked for. And then there's a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that can't be forgiven. But we should not think that we're any better or any more worthy of the drug addict on the street, the prostitute in the brothel. Matthew Jensen is no more worthy. I've broken Yahweh's law many times. Many times I've known to do right and I've done wrong anyhow. The same battle that Paul talked about in Romans 7 where the things that I want to do, my spirit man wants to do, sometimes I find myself not doing them. And then the things that I don't want to do, sometimes I find myself doing them. And then when I commit sin, the Spirit of Yahweh convicts me deeply and I cling to the knees of the Messiah. He's a friend of sinners. Yeshua tells Simon Peter, from now on you're going to catch people. What did that mean? Well, he meant this. He meant this. Simon, you're going to be my personal student. 
And we're going to take the net of teaching and we're going to catch people for the purpose of teaching them about and bringing them into the kingdom. Got a little cartoon up here for the children. It says, I'm pretty sure the fishers of men thing was a figure of speech as they've got all the men in the net. They were going to catch people. If you remember to my lesson on the rabbi and the Talmudim, which is the rabbi means a great teacher of the law, and the Talmudim means the students. We see the word disciples. It's a fancy word. We don't always know what it means. It means a student. Rabbi Yeshua, that means teacher Yeshua. He had personal disciples, personal students that left everything and followed him. And he was their personal teacher of the law. And what did they try to do? What was their goal? To imitate their teacher. To listen to what he taught, believe it, and imitate his lifestyle. Would they do it perfectly? No. Simon Peter is a sinful man. <laughs> yes, you is not. They wouldn't do it perfectly. You won't do it perfectly. But that doesn't mean you, that should not be your goal. That should be your goal. And we might not can do it in and of ourselves, but I remember reading a passage in the Bible written by the Apostle Paul that says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Amen. Luke 5, verse 11, last verse. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed Him. And there we have the first disciples or students of the Master. Through this miracle He performed, these fishermen were brought to the realization that they were to be students of Rabbi Yeshua, teacher Yeshua, great teacher Yeshua. They left it all. They left the boats. They left the nets. They left everything that they would generally do for work. And they not just followed Him like we follow Him today and we go about our vocation. They literally followed Him and listened to what He taught and imitated Him and went where He went. And eventually, they would get mature enough in the faith to where they would have disciples and students that they would teach. And the process goes on and on and on. He says, from now on, don't worry. You might not be catching fish anymore, but you're going to be netting in people. Right? Not to clean them and gut them like you did the fish, by the way. <laughs> but to catch them in the sense that you're going to be used by Yahweh in the process of delivering their life from sin. So in conclusion, are we being taught by Yeshua in our studies? You know, we may not be able to go listen to Him as He sits in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. We can't do that. Oh, how I would love to be able to do it. But we can read about His teachings in the four evangels or four gospels that we have available to us right here in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you want to know Yahweh's will, if you want to know Yahweh's word and Yahweh's teachings, spend time studying the teachings of the Master Yeshua. I would encourage anyone, and don't take me the wrong way when I say this, but I would encourage anyone to lay aside the rest of the New Testament for a while and focus on the teachings of Yeshua. We know our foundation is the Scriptures. Brother Arnold mentioned that in testimony service. And we know that the Messiah taught everything in alignment with the Scriptures, the Tanakh. Let's get our foundation right. I think a lot of times we misinterpret things in Acts and the New Testament epistles because our foundation's not right. Take some time to listen to the chief rabbi teach you when you read about his life and his teachings. Press in upon Him. Crowd in upon Him daily to listen to Him teach. Read the Gospels daily. That's how you do it. Study the life setting around Him. I guarantee it will be a blessing to you. And my last point in the sermon is that Yeshua is a friend to sinners who are humble 
and repentant. Our Messiah is holy. He's the Holy One of Yahweh. He's the sinless Son of Yahweh. He's the Lamb who takes away sin. But brothers and sisters, He does not reject those who humbly acknowledge their sin, repent of that sin, and put their trust in Him. Amen. He does not reject that person like Peter. Get away from me for I'm a sinful man. Aren't you glad He didn't say, all right, I'll get away from you. I'm thankful He didn't say that. But He humbly, Peter did, humbly acknowledged his sin and Yeshua accepted Him. Yeshua is not there to chastise you when you come to Him like Simon Peter did. He might chastise you when you don't come to Him like Simon Peter did to teach you a lesson in discipline. But when you come to Him in repentance like Peter, He's not there to chastise you. That's the whole purpose of the parable of the prodigal son. Is that when the son who went astray came back to the house, he said, let's kill the fatted calf and go get my gold ring and let's put it on his finger. And what about that fine robe? Let's put it around his shoulders because my son who was dead, is now alive. And let's have a feast because he once was lost and now he's found. Yeshua is a friend to sinners who are repentant. And when you have Simon's attitude, you know what he's there saying? He's looking at you when you're down at his knees and he's saying, Matthew, Matthew, Maureen, Tim, Ron, don't be afraid. Come to me. I'm a friend to those who acknowledge their sin. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you and I thank you, and I praise you for your love. Thank you for the Scriptures. Thank you for loving us when we don't deserve to be loved. Father, I pray that you would remove um, any thoughts in our mind that would try to boast in our own selves or puff up our own selves, and that we would rely solely on the work that you've done through your Son. And thank you, though. Thank you, Father Yahweh, that even though we are sinners, thank you, Father, for changing our hearts so that we then can live a different life than we lived prior to coming to your Son. I know that's by your grace as well, but thank you, Yahweh, for giving us new hearts that have the ability to do that. I pray that you continue to work on us and perform that spiritual surgery upon our hearts. Thank you for this text to bring us back here next Sabbath to sing, read, share, and study your word through your son.